already. There's just been that sense of his compassion, of his kindness, of his goodness, of his tenderness. And, uh, and I trust that you have felt that. We're going to try and stay in that this afternoon. Um, and so we just want to, to, to use this session really as a bit of a time for reflection. As um, Ange said, there's going to be opportunity for ministry later on. Um, but we want to we just bring you some stories. Um, and we want to bring you some stories that will encourage and inspire and hopefully motivate and maybe challenge um, you a little bit. So... Um, you know, we've been hearing this morning, haven't we, that life can be tough. And it can. <laughs> That's inherently what life can be like. Life can be tough, it can be tiring, it can be disappointing, it can be challenging. Uh, there are things we face that hurt. There is pain, there is grief, we can be perplexed, we can be disappointed. And Jesus knew that. He knew that, he understood that very, very well. And he gave us an invitation. And his invitation, I suspect, will be very well known to you. It goes like this. Come to me. We've heard that already this morning several times. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your bodies, rest from your situation, rest from your problems, rest for your soul. How's your soul? How's your soul doing today? You know, Jesus knew a lot about yokes. Jesus was a carpenter. And it's not too far from reality to imagine that he probably made yokes. Do you know what a yoke is? You've perhaps seen pictures of two oxen being used to plow a field. And a yoke was made to connect the two oxen so that they would plow the field together. And the great thing about yokes is those yokes were made specifically for the individual oxen. You couldn't just buy one off the shelf. Okay? So carpenters made the yokes to measure. And Jesus was reminding us, yes, we will find rest for our souls, but he's not going to remove the yoke I remember a time when I so desperately wanted God to remove the yoke that was on me. It's a very profound symbol, isn't it? It's quite a powerful symbol. A yoke reminds me very much of the symbol of the cross. And we're called, aren't we, to take up our cross and follow him. And so often, oxen, apparently, when they're learning, when they're being trained to come under the yoke and to work... They push against it, they strain against it, they struggle with it. And it's the one who is the older of the two oxen, who's been trained in it, who helps the younger oxen learn how to walk in the yoke. And if you learn how to walk in the yoke, it becomes easy. It's when you're going like this and struggling against it that it's a burden. And oxen would get um, ulcers and, and whatnot on the, on the shoulders if it was an ill-fitting yoke or if they were resisting the yoke. So this, this picture of a yoke is very, very important for us. And there was a time when I was really struggling against what life was for me. Um, I went through a time in my life where uh, my marriage was really threatened and that was a very, very painful thing. My relationship with my husband was going through some real tension. And I just, my prayer was, God, just break through. Just change this. Just rescue me from this situation. Just, you know, I believe you can do that. Come on, God. Just like that. Bam. All done. We're sorted. On we go. We can start serving you again. Didn't happen that way. 
What actually happened was God sent this wonderful prophetic person with a prophetic word I really didn't want to hear. (laughs) This prophetic word was, Fran, you're going to go into white water rapids. Oh, thanks. Great. (laughs) In other words, it's going to get worse. I already felt like I was in water. Now I'm going into white water rapids. It's going to get worse, Fran. But the picture I had was of a canoeist, a skilled canoeist. You know how they, they're doing the rapids, they're riding the rapids, and they, they make it all the way, boom, 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 they're so skilled. That was the picture I had, that God was going to equip me to navigate my white water rapids. So I wasn't going to be sailing beautifully into the sunset, no. I was going to be navigating white water rapids, and I did and we did. And, you know, if we hadn't have navigated those whitewater rapids, we wouldn't have come through knowing the goodness of God in the way that we do. We wouldn't have come through knowing the faithfulness of God in the way that we do. I wouldn't be able to testify what I know now about my God. I loved what Lou said there about Uh, that moment around her mum's bedside when she and her sisters were singing and how she said in that moment of deep grief and letting go of a loved one she felt the closeness of God in a way that it's probably beyond any experience she's had of that before and you know we sometimes call that the thin place you know that thin place where you just feel like you can almost touch heaven where you just feel God is right there. And so often those thin places come when we're at our greatest time of need. Those thin places come when the challenge is at its greatest. Those beautiful moments come when God says, come to me in what life is dealing you. Come to me. So we're going to hear from um, three ladies who want to share with you what they have learnt um, in this, really. Before we do, though, I just want to read you the message version of, of that Bible verse, Come to me, all you who are weary. Um, so just receive these words. Just listen to this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. That's so poetic, so beautiful. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Doesn't that sound a bit like floating to you? Floating on God's grace, unforced rhythms. If we can be in rhythm with Jesus, we're yoked to him, and we're in rhythm with him. We can learn those unforced rhythms of his grace. So we're going to hear from three ladies who are going to share with us how they've been learning to walk in the unforced rhythms of grace. Would you just give a warm welcome please to Becky? Becky, um, there's there's not a great deal I know about Becky, but I do know this. Becky is the mum of five children. (laughs) So Becky's going to share with you what it's like for a mum with five children. Lovely, thank you. So yeah, I'm Becky. I'm married to John Pickett. And we have five children, the youngest of whom Albert was born last year. And we've been coming along to Hope Church since we arrived as students more years ago than I care to admit. 
Um, so I'm going to talk to you this morning about God's rhythms of grace in my life, about how gracious he's been to me through the thick and thin of life recently, and about how I'm choosing and learning, actually just learning to choose his peace over my striving. So frequently over the last 18 months or so, I've come to the end of who I am, to the end of what I can cope with emotionally and physically and mentally. I've dealt with some uh, mental health issues during my pregnancy with Albert, my youngest, some physical complications for six months afterwards, and just the emotional weight of parenting five young lives has brought me to the end of who I am and to a place where I feel like I need Jesus more than I ever have before. So I want to start by talking about my struggle with mental health. Because I feel like mental health is still quite a taboo in our society. But you know, if there is no shame in physical illness, then there is no shame in mental illness either. My dad, who used to be a mental health social worker before he retired, and a very good one too, told me that anyone's mental health can deteriorate given the right or I suppose wrong set of circumstances. And that anyone's mental health can improve given the right help. So to tell you my story, I'm going to have to go right back to the start of my journey. So back in May, June time, 2016, John and I are discussing our family. And we are deciding that four children is definitely enough for us and that we need to uh, finish having children now. And my husband is going to have a little operation to ensure that it stays that way. But I feel quite sad about this. Uh, You know, I know got four already but I do feel quite sad about this and I feel like oh I just would love one more baby but it's definitely not right for us so one night I'm crying out to God and I'm saying God help me have the right attitude to this change my attitude to it give me a peace help me to move on grateful for what I've got and at peace Um, and I open the Bible hoping to find a nice comforting verse you know I, I know the plans I have for you or something nice like that And uh, instead, my Bible just opens on 2 Kings 4, verse 16. I don't remember ever reading this verse before, but I know that some of you will have. And it says, this time next year, you'll be nursing an infant son. (laughs) And I said, God, don't muck around with me here. You know, I'm coming to you with my heart. I'm asking you to to change me. And you're giving me this? And then I read the um, next line of the verse, which says, Don't play games with me, teasing me with such fantasies the woman conceived. And a year later, she had a baby. Well, I didn't know what to think. I mentioned it to my husband. Um, but in our great wisdom, we decided that what God meant was that if we wanted another baby, we shouldn't let fear hold us back. You know, if, if we wanted one, just go for it. We decided again, no, it was not right for us. Well, a few weeks later, I realized I'm pregnant. But, you know, it was so kind of God, so gracious and loving of him to give me that verse, that promise to hold on to, because what was to come was a really dark place for me. And the promises contained in that verse, knowing that God was in this, that he was ordaining this, really sustained me. Now, I've never had any problems with my mental health before. But during my delivery with Joshua, my fourth baby, my scar from a previous C-section ruptured. It can be very dangerous. I hemorrhaged, you know, when you're rushed into theater and there's medical staff everywhere. And in the recovery room uh, after this, I had a panic attack. I didn't know it was a panic attack. I'd never had one before. Uh, I thought I was dying. I was shouting at everyone, quick, get me a doctor, which is very common. Most people, their first panic attack, you think you are physically ill. Most people think they're having a heart attack. Um, But anyway got over it, went home. But in the next few weeks, I had a few more panic attacks, always in the bath, because the bath mimicked how I'd felt in that uh, recovery room. I'd felt very hot. I'd felt very tired. I hadn't slept for a few days, and I felt very trapped. My legs hadn't come around for the anesthetic, and two nurses were trying to turn me over against my will. They regretted that. Um, (laughs) So, but I, so after a few weeks, these panic attacks faded away, and I didn't really think uh, anything else of it. I just thought, well, maybe if I had another baby, that would be a problem, but I'm not going to have another baby, so that's okay. Well, fast forward to 20 weeks pregnant with Albert, and uh, I have a big panic attack in the bath. Excuse me. My husband finds me on the stairs, shampoo still in my hair, uh, shivering in my towel, crying and just saying, look, I thought this might be a problem once I delivered this baby with all the hormones and the exhaustion, but if it's a problem now, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? And uh, I started to have quite a lot of panic attacks. And for those of you who've never had a panic attack, 
they are really the most frightening thing. It's like somebody has put a pillow over your face and you can't get it off, or somebody is putting their hands around your neck and you can't remove it, or a lion is mauling you. I mean, it genuinely is as frightening as those experiences, or or I felt like it was. And... um, it's also quite a lonely place to be in. It's not very easy. You can't very easily talk to other people about it. You know, if people scratch below the surface, I tried to be honest, but it's not like, oh, hi, how are you, Becky? Oh, yeah, great, but having a few panic attacks in the bath, it's, it's not really appropriate. Um, and I think also you, it's frightening because you feel like you're not in control of your own mind. Is this the thin end of the wedge? Am I going to have a mental breakdown and be hospitalised? But, you know, thank goodness for Jesus. I clung on to him. I asked him to help me. And I knew that he was capable of working all things for good. So I knew I needed help. I knew I needed the right, you know, the right tools, really. That was the frustrating thing for me. I thought, I'm a sensible, level-headed, intelligent woman. I'm sure that I can deal with this if somebody gives me the right tools. But I didn't know what those right tools were. And I certainly didn't know where to find them. Uh, So I went to the doctor. Now, I'm sure that is usually a really good move, but unfortunately, the doctor I saw was running 40 minutes late and was very dismissive. She said, you're worrying about nothing. Go home and tell yourself it's only a bath. And actually, that's one thing with panic attacks. You know, I wasn't scared of having a bath. You're not, generally speaking, you're not scared of what triggers a panic attack. It's the panic attack you're scared of because they are really frightening. Um, So I tried then, uh, my dad recommended some cognitive behavioral therapy books, but they just didn't help me. Um, So it got worse. It got worse because I felt like there was no help for me. It got worse because I knew I was going to have to have a C-section to deliver this baby, which is the ultimate in feeling trapped. You know, you have to lie on a very narrow surgeon's table. They tip you up and to the side. You can't move your legs. There's people sticking you with needles um, and someone's about to slice into you. Um, I just didn't no, I just couldn't see how I was going to get through this without having a huge panic attack, being put under a general and missing the birth of my precious baby, you know, my last baby. How awful would have that been? I couldn't see how I was going to get through a hospital stay, um, lack of sleep, coming home to all those kids, you know, just everything that a newborn involves. How was I going to get through that with all these panic attacks too? So I started having panic attacks everywhere, not just in the bath, anywhere I felt slightly hot or trapped. And if you've ever been pregnant, you'll know that that's pretty much all the time when your tummy's out here. So um, in the car, at church, even in bed. And even if I managed to sleep, I would just dream that I was having a panic attack. I would just wake up gripped with panic. But, you know, God's kindness was constant. I kept coming back to that verse. You know, he had given me that verse. He had had ordained this baby. He was going to see me through. And I just kept crying out, God, help me, help me, help me. So uh, John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I felt like the devil wanted to rob me of joy in this final pregnancy, but God didn't want me bound up in this. I felt like he wanted to bring me freedom. And I didn't know why God was allowing this in my life, but I knew that he was a loving father and he would see me through. But I felt very strongly that my help would come and needed to come from a professional. I felt like just a sort of instant miracle would have left me feeling like, well, what if it all comes back as fast as it went? So I was in a dark place. You might say I was drowning. (laughs) Uh, But then God reached his hand in and he pulled me out. Hallelujah. So one day I was going to the park Uh, going to meet Helen Kitto and Ruth Cooling at the park. They come to this church. And I felt God prompt me as I walked down, speak to Helen about this. I knew from her honesty that she had, you know, had a struggle in this area once before. So I said to Helen about it. And she said, oh, you must speak to Ruth, who was off chasing a child, because she's gone through something very similar in a pregnancy. So I talked to Ruth, and uh, she told me about this amazing charity called iTalk, if you ever need them. They're based in Eastleigh. And uh, they do all their work over the phone. You don't need a doctor to refer you. You refer yourself. You ring up and they triage you. So I rang them up and I spoke to this lovely lady, Hayley Spencer. She dealt with me all the way through and I will never forget her. She was amazing. And she said, look, usually there's a waiting list. I was literally four weeks away from delivery at this point. She was like, I'm going to bump you right to the top of that waiting list. She said, usually you would need a session every other week of cognitive behavioral therapy and homework in between. She said, we haven't got time for that. I'm going to do it every week with you so that we can fit the four sessions in that you are going to need. 
And true to her word, we did that. We went through the cognitive behavioral therapy. I did all the homework religiously. And um, by the time I got to my C-section, praise God, I was not having any panic attacks. Uh, If I felt one rising up, I knew what to do. I walked into that operating theater more scared than I've ever been in my life. Um, But I knew that God was with me and I knew I was going to be okay. I didn't have a panic attack. I watched my baby being born. (laughs) It's amazing. And um, only a few weeks before, I would just never have thought that that would be possible. Praise God. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And you know, I'm so grateful that God provided that help for me. I don't know what I would have done if he hadn't. Um, And actually, things got quite hard. When I came back from the hospital, um, our son Sam, a couple of days, literally, I came back on the Saturday. By the Sunday night, early hours of Monday morning, he was being rushed into hospital with acute appendicitis. He was very ill, had to have it removed. And him and my husband were in hospital for most of that week. I was on my own with a newborn and and all the kids. I did have help in the day, but literally, I, I don't think I would have got through without having had that help. Uh, and, and not having these panic attacks. And, you know, while our son was in hospital, John and I just felt that tangible peace of God so close. You know, I find that postpartum, that, those first few weeks, really difficult. But I just knew such a peace and such a grace from God. Um, and then when my son came back from the hospital, I developed a really horrible womb infection. I was ill for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, I saw doctor after doctor, test after test. In fact, I saw or spoke to a healthcare professional every day for six weeks. And I was on medication for physical issues for six months postpartum. Um, but we just knew God with us. But it's interesting, though, isn't it, that actually the battle for us choosing to depend on Jesus and choosing his peace and perfection very often isn't won and lost in these dramas of life, but in the drudgery. Now, I found it much easier to cling to Jesus during these really kind of hard times than in the subsequent times when I haven't had time to go to the loo or eat a sandwich, let alone spend time with God. And uh, I don't feel like I've walked through this postpartum part very well. I feel like I've tried to lean on my own strength so many times only to keep failing. You know, five lives all depending on me feels like quite a weight, quite a responsibility. And I find myself constantly analyzing, oh, am I being a good mother today? Have I been a good mum? Or have I spent enough time with so-and-so? Or I must read with such and such and do their spelling. And oh, we're not eating healthily enough. Quick, cut the sugar. And, uh, <laughs> and why is my washing pile so huge and my house is a mess? I must try harder. I must try harder. And um, I drive myself to distraction instead of thinking, you know, I'm going to choose Jesus and I'm going to choose his peace. And I think when you're in a situation like this, that's the two choices you've got, isn't it? You've got striving and self-loathing and doubt and worry, or you've got Jesus and his peace. But I think what I'm finding is it's not a one-off choice, is it? It's a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute choice. I'm going to choose Jesus. Um, So I had a day in half term last week. Now, my children are lovely, lovely children. They're really good. They're really kind. But on this day, they'd clearly decided, let's take it in turns to wind mummy up. So we start off in the morning. I get them all to do a chore in the morning before we start our day. And I made the mistake of asking one of my children, instead of their usual chore, please would you unload the dishwasher? Uh, And there ensued half an hour of kind of a battle of wills until the dishwasher was finally unloaded. And then I went upstairs and I asked another child to clear up the mess on their floor, just the floor, not the rest of it. And and that was an hour-long stress. They're not usually like this, but on this day. And uh, then we had quite a nice time. We did some baking. And then in the afternoon, one of my older children went out and a younger child decided they would take this opportunity to sneak into their room and see what they could see. Well, what happened was they got their little finger impaled upon a large cactus spike. I mean, you can't make this sort of thing up, can you? And, And it would have been the work of moments to remove it with a pair of tweezers, but would they let me get near it? No, they would not. And so uh, there issued like two hours of us trying everything to get it out. You know, we tried soaking it in salt water. We tried going for a walk. That did not go well to take our mind off it. We tried watching TV. In the end, in case you're ever in a similar situation, we had a long hot bath and that did the trick. And all during this day, I've got a baby on my hip who was teething. You know, when they do that whole grizzly thing. And my toddler, I love, I love toddlers. They're just delicious and chubby and lovely, aren't they? But... He was doing that thing where they just ask you question after question after question. And every time you answer a question, it elicits five more questions. Um, 
So by the time my poor husband got home, he walked through the door and I was just like, give me the car keys. I'm going for a drive. And I do this sometimes and I just go for a drive and I just let the tears fall and I'm just like, God, you've got to help me. I can't do this. It's too hard for me. Please help me, God. And I keep listening to this same song over and over from the Youth Revival album. And it says, there's a lyric in it that says, you don't want perfection just my soul's attention and I just drink that in like a good long drink you don't want perfection just my soul's attention I love that he just wants us it just wants us he he doesn't mind about all that baggage he wants to deal with that but he just loves us he just wants us to lean on him Matthew 11, 28, it's been read out a lot of times this morning. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the rest God is talking about, it's a deep rest in your soul, isn't it? It's a rest from striving. And I find that I need to speak this truth over myself on a daily basis to counteract the lie that I just need to try harder. You know, I saw this great quote on Instagram the other day by Lisa Bevere, and it said, when we believe a lie, we empower the liar. That's good, isn't it? When we believe a lie, we empower the liar. And I've definitely believed the lie that I wasn't good enough and I just needed to try harder. So I have to keep coming back to God's grace. I'm not a finished article by any stretch of the imagination and I'm sure I'm still going to have days where I try and do it in my own strength. So, but in conclusion, you know, I'm so grateful to God for the love and kindness and grace he's shown me in this hard season of life. I'm grateful for my healthy baby boy, for the miraculous way that Jesus led me to the right help for my panic attacks. And I know I haven't always walked through this season well. Sometimes I haven't leaned on him. Sometimes I've taken my eyes off him. But you know what? He has never, ever taken his eyes off me. And that ultimately is the grace of God, isn't it? Amen. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much, Becky. Isn't it good to hear people share things that we resonate with? You know, it just makes it feel so normal, doesn't it? We're all walking the walk. We're all doing the stuff. So I would like to invite the lovely Amelia, please. Okay, we're going to just relax a little bit now. And I'm going to ask Amelia one or two questions. All right, comfy? Yeah, good. Okay, so Amelia, tell us briefly what life used to be like for you and who is responsible for what is a dramatic change in your life. My mum uh, was a prostitute, and my dad was one of her customers. I had a really messed up childhood. So I started drinking heavily and using drugs when I was 13. I would beg, borrow, steal, or sell myself for drugs. I used drugs and alcohol heavily for 13 years. During that time, I met my husband, Ben, and life was slightly less chaotic, but my priority was always partying. Then about a year after the birth of our first child, George, I totally lost the plot and I had a psychotic episode. I was miserable, broken and suicidal. I spent the next seven years heavily sedated on prescription drugs and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I battled addiction and mental health problems for 20 years. It's a miracle that I didn't end up in hospital, prison or dead. Then two years ago, Jesus came into my life and totally changed everything. Wow. (laughs) Tell us what happened. (laughs) Wait for it. Wait for it. (laughs) Tell us what happened to cause you to start crying out. Because we've heard, you know, so much about we need to be specific with Jesus. We need to call on him like Peter did. And you cried out for help. What was it that caused you to do that, to turn to God? Our second child, Mabel, was stillborn. We turned back to using drugs and alcohol to cope with the pain of losing our daughter. I hit rock bottom and I couldn't go on. I was preparing to kill myself when I felt a sudden urge to pray. 
I cried out to God, if you are out there, if you are real, do something. I was overwhelmed with his peace and love. Since then, God has provided me with everything I need. Jesus has shown me the way. When I follow Jesus, amazing things happen. He has helped me so much. I'm the woman I never thought I could be. I'm a good mum and a loyal wife. I'm confident and happy. I'm totally sober and completely drug free. <laughs> Thank you. With God's help, I keep my bipolar disorder in control without medication, and I have been discharged from community mental health services. <laughs> Isn't it just great to hear this? Isn't it just wonderful? You know, you can be at rock bottom, and our God is enough. Our God is more than enough. So, I know having talked with you a little bit, that in all of this, and since then, you've experienced more of God's grace in your life. Uh, Would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Soon after I gave my life to God, I discovered, to my surprise, I was pregnant again. The pregnancy was difficult, and several times it looked like our third child was going to join Mabel in heaven. I struggled to read my Bible, pray and worship, but God showed me his grace. Our baby continually surprised the doctors by defying the odds. Then our daughter Faith was born three months prematurely, weighing two and a half pounds. God's timing was perfect because the surgeon said that there were signs of infection when I delivered her and if she had stayed in any longer, it could have been very bad news for her. The doctors and nurses were amazed at how well Faith was doing for such an extremely premature baby. She spent nine and a half weeks in the neonatal unit as a feed and grow case. As Faith has grown and become stronger, our Faith has got stronger. She has continued to surprise the doctors by not following the norm for 28 weekers. And faith is the rainbow in our sky to show God's promises are true. Last year, faith became critically ill and was put on a ventilator for six days in paediatric intensive care. I then spent a further 15 days in hospital with faith while I helped her through severe drug withdrawal from the medication given to her during ventilation. For three whole days and nights, no sleep, no rest. I have never seen a baby so distressed. I couldn't comfort her, but Jesus comforted me and led me through that dark valley. After a few months, she had made a full recovery, thanks to God's grace. After all this happened, I was incredibly thankful, but now I felt somehow oddly uncomfortable. I decided that I needed to show God how thankful I was by saying yes to every opportunity that I thought he was giving me. We attended two, sometimes three services on a Sunday in different churches. I volunteered in two different churches, applied for voluntary jobs outside of church, signed up to various different courses and agreed to co-lead a church toddler group. All this was at the same time as I attended as many baby and toddler groups with our 18-month-old as possible and attempted to look after my husband and nine-year-old son. I was trying to earn God's love, but I left no time for him. Needless to to say, I became exhausted and overwhelmed. I couldn't understand what was wrong. If this was what God wanted me to do, why did I feel so burned out? I thought God opened those doors for me, but now I can see that I forced myself through most of them. One day, as my husband and daughter played in the garden in the sunshine and I tried to complete one of my homework assignments, I felt horrible. I made time for God and asked him for guidance. God kept giving me, um, sorry, he gave me John uh, 15 verses 1 to 17, the vine and the branches. I knew what I had to do. With Jesus holding my hand, I stopped everything, asking him each time for guidance. God kept giving me the vine and the branches in prayers, dreams, through conversations and in ways I couldn't ignore. We left our previous churches, 
God cut and pruned until we felt so very bare. October was a month that felt like the wilderness, but we received instruction to rest in him. That season had ended and we needed to be patient until we could see where the new one was taking us. He has a plan for us. God wanted us to get away with him and recover our lives. Amongst all this cutting and pruning, a new branch had started to grow and we almost didn't see it because we were looking backwards, not forwards. God had connected us to hope before the cutting and pruning. As we put down our roots here in hope's good soil, we started to bear fruit again. We are learning to live freely and lightly. Now I'm pregnant with our fourth child. (laughs) And the cutting and pruning makes sense now. (laughs) He was preparing me for this season. God, you have showered us with your grace and mercy endlessly. Thank you, Father. Wow. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so while we're listening to these stories, I know that there will be things that are touching you. God will be just slipping things in, little words, little uh, uh, things that resonate for you. And my, my, uh, what I would ask you to do is just sit with those. Just sit with those. There will be time uh, for you either to reflect or to get some prayer or... Uh, for us to to just feel our way through those. So, okay, um, where's Vicky gone? <laughs> Don't frighten me like that. <laughs> okay, so third voice. This is Vicky. Vicky Windross. Give her a warm welcome. I've come to love this lady. She's an absolute delight. Smile at her lots. She's got some good things to say. Uh, I've got slides with mine. <laughs> thought it might help you concentrate. <laughs> um, so I'm Vicky. I've been coming to Hope Church for the last 24 years, ever since I arrived here as a student. Um, and I just want to tell you about where I've been for the last few years. I haven't really realised where I've been for the last three years, not until last year when I was prepared to give give everything up really so um so that's where I want to start and unsurprisingly I want to start by reading this verse out um because it, it really speaks to me that the message version particularly it just says it just says it in such an amazing way so are you tired worn out burned out on religion come to me get away with me and you'll recover your life I'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me watch how I do it Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So that verse, along with an acorn, has helped me sort myself out. And that both of those things have had a deep and significant impact on me and helped me change the way that I've chosen to live. So the last few years have been quite challenging for one reason or another. And this time last year... I wouldn't have been stood here. (laughs) I wouldn't have even been here for the day today. Um, I had, like Becky has said, I'd come to the end of myself. I had nothing to give you. I had nothing to give myself. Uh, I was just completely spent. There were times when I couldn't breathe, uh, when I was anxious, panicky about anything and everything. And I just couldn't catch my breath. Now when I look back and having heard Lou speak this morning, I was in that freezing water and I was fighting it. I was trying to swim. And when I couldn't breathe, when I couldn't catch my breath, I decided I was just going to let myself sink and I was going to just give it all up. So the things that happened, there were significant challenges at work that had really shaken me, really tested me to the utmost of my ability. There were significant events in my personal life that I'd never properly acknowledged. I hadn't really grieved over them. And my life was busy and crammed to the point where I'd had enough. I just wanted a bit of peace and quiet. I wanted to stop. I wanted to get a reasonable quality of life back. And I'd come to the end of myself and I didn't have anything left to give anyone. And that had all been going on for a good number of years. 
but uh, in typical me fashion, I just put my head in a bucket of sand, ignored it all, and hoped it would go away. And it didn't. It just things last year got really, just got really tough. Looking back, I can see that I'd forgotten who I was. I'd lost my way, and I was working really hard to live my life in my own strength. But at that time, I could just see that everything was wrong. As far as I was concerned, God wasn't really interested in me. He wasn't listening to me. He wasn't answering my prayers. And my non-Christian friends had much more peaceful lives than I did. And I find it really interesting that the only people I looked at last year were my non-Christian friends. <laughs> Didn't really look at my Christian people. Thank you, Lindsay. Didn't really look at my, uh, my Christian friends as, uh, as an example. I just looked at my non-Christian friends and I thought, I want the life that you have. Um, so I decided, based on that, that I really had nothing valuable to believe in. It wasn't doing it for me, and I was going to give up on my faith and walk away from it all. The things that had driven me to that point were pretty significant. <sighs> Throughout my life, I've struggled with the disability I have, the physical side of it, the constant pain of it, but actually the fact that it makes me different, and I hate that. It's got a long and complicated name, but to keep it brief and simple for you, I don't have enough muscles in my legs, feet or hands for them to work properly. That's why I have a wobbly walk. I can't move my feet. I can't wiggle my toes independently. I can't walk at all without the insoles that I wear in my shoes. I find it very hard to keep my balance. I can't run. I can't use steps easily. And my feet hurt all the time, every day. I can't wear nice and pretty shoes or dresses. My hands aren't strong. My fingers are stiff. They don't grip properly. I can't undo jars, tins, or sweet wrappers. <laughs> and if my hands get cold, I can't even pick up a pen to write with. So those are all basic things. And I've been praying to God about healing. I haven't been asking to run a marathon <laughs> or even a five-kilometer race. <laughs> I've just been asking him for a body that worked properly and to be able to do the things that everyone else can do without thinking and so easily. Things at school are caught up with me as well. I'm a deputy head teacher of a large junior school, and last year I was the acting head. During my time in that role, there were several significant challenges that really tested me. It was my job to find the solutions, and although I did, this wasn't without a cost. I worried, panicked frequently, couldn't sleep, worked too hard for too long, didn't take any time for myself and tried to be everything to everyone. Alongside that job, I was also training PGCE students to be teachers. I was running training days for them. Uh, I was supporting students and their mentors in schools around Hampshire. And in the end, I didn't want to do any of that anymore. Everything in me hurt, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I couldn't stop crying. I was, and I was utterly frustrated with a body that was constantly tired and consistently and frequently let me down. God wasn't listening, and if he was, he wasn't answering in the way that I wanted him to and that I thought he should. I like to think I hid it all pretty well. Uh, but this time, my faith really was at crisis point. The expectations I had of myself were extremely high. I thought it weakness to have to rely on anyone else. But I had no capacity for anything. I, genuine, I couldn't even smile, genuinely. And it really was all I could do to get out of bed and get through my day. And I needed a whole lot of encouragement from my friends to do just that. Looking back, I can see now that my overwhelming feelings were inadequacy, stress, fear, panic, failure, frustration, anger, and a deep, deep sadness that I couldn't do anything about. So I talked with a friend I trusted about deciding to find another sort of life, one away from God. And we talked about the options that I had. Unfortunately, she didn't think that me living apart from God would be particularly good. Thank goodness. <laughs> and she committed to support me, pray for me, and hold me close when I couldn't do that for myself. There were a few other friends I trusted as well, and they did the same. They prayed for me, they encouraged me, they fed me Bible truths as well as real food. Uh, they cried with me, and they kept me fixed to the rock, despite the storm that was going on around me. And through them, and as the months went on, I began to hear God speak quite personally to me. So I was drawn to the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. 
In the story, Elijah has run away from Jezebel, who has threatened to kill him. He runs through a wilderness, the desert, until he can go no further, and he collapses underneath a broom tree. It is here that he sleeps, and he's fed by God, sending an angel with food and water. When he is rested, Elijah travels for 40 days and nights across the desert to a cave. He's in the cave when God speaks to him. And after asking Elijah why he is there, God sends a great wind, an earthquake, and a fire. But God's presence isn't in any of those things. Instead, after the fire, there's a silence. And it's in the silence that God speaks to Elijah and asks him why he's there. And through that, I realized several things. The first is that God is always with me on the journey, even when I feel like he isn't. He feeds me and he sustains me. He recognizes when I need to rest and he provides the opportunity for me to sleep. In other words, he's interested in my physical needs. He meets them by providing for me and he teaches me the importance of taking care of myself. The second was that God doesn't always speak in the spectacular. Here he speaks to Elijah in a still, small voice that came from the silence. And Elijah only heard God speak because of the silence. The third thing was that God was genuinely interested in why Elijah was there. He really wanted to know what had driven Elijah to him in that desperate and exhausted state. And in the silence, Elijah had to examine himself and face God honestly. So for me, the end of the academic year was when I collapsed underneath my version of Elijah's tree. With my friend's support, I'd got to the end of the term and all I could do was sleep. Later, as I began to feel a bit more rested, my friends encouraged me to read my Bible, to speak to God and ask him to reveal the truth in his word. And all of a sudden, it was like passages of my Bible were suddenly written in flashing lights. My eyes, but more importantly, my heart, were drawn to the truth that seemed written particularly for me. Really specific and clear messages from God. I knew that it wasn't enough to do this just once or twice, though. As Becky said, it's a, it's a, daily, a daily choice. And I fully recognized that I needed to be different. And that meant I had to find a new rhythm for re- regularly reading my Bible or I'd end up in trouble again. I'd do it for two or three days, miss a slot, never go back to it. And if that happened, I knew that would be the end of me and God. I had been struggling across the desert for the last few years, and now the truths I was finding were sustaining me in a new way. In a book I'd been reading, I came across this quote. Uh, the next quote. <laughs> well, you said it wouldn't do this to me, Will. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the desert shatters the soul's arrogance and leaves body and soul crying out in thirst and hunger. In the desert, we trust God or die. And that was my experience. I, ha- I had no choice but to trust God and keep going. So I started small, because sometimes I start really big and then I can't carry on. So I started small this time, and I began with a book I'd bought called Jesus Calling. It's a daily devotional, and it gave me what I needed. I used the summer to change my rhythm and embed a new routine. And I just began every morning asking God to speak to me through my daily reading and the Bible passages that went with it. Every morning I did that, and I journaled what God spoke to me. And it wasn't always nice, and it definitely wasn't easy to hear, but God did always speak to me. So one of the first things he said was, grow strong in your weakness. Some of my children I have gifted with abundant strength and stamina. Others, like you, have received the humble gift of frailty. Your fragility is not a punishment, and nor does it indicate a lack of faith. On the contrary, weak ones like you must live by faith, depending on me to get you through the day. I am developing your ability to trust me, to lean on me, rather than your own understanding. My desire is for you to depend on me continually, trusting me to guide you and strengthen you as needed. This is how you grow strong in your weaknesses. And that was the beginning of a new rhythm. I have always, always despised my weaknesses. There's so many of them. They are so frustrating. But I'd never once considered that they could keep me close to God. So after that, I kept going with my mornings with God because I needed to hear him. Throughout August, I repeatedly heard him tell me that he didn't require me to be strong. He required me just to be close to him. 
in September, a key time, and I was, as I was quite worried about going back to work, God told me to accept each day exactly as it comes to me. My job throughout my day is simply to trust him absolutely because he is sovereign and he is faithful. My days at school are really busy and they're so full that sometimes if you asked me, I wouldn't be able to tell you my own name. The more time I spent listening to God telling me repeatedly that I had to be dependent on him and he was all I needed, the more I realized I needed to find little gaps in my day to drag my mind back off the problems I'd start focusing on and onto God and what he had said. So I made the most of my time in the loo. (laughs) That's the only place in a school where you are guaranteed to be on your own (laughs) and not interrupted. (laughs) During my time out on the playground, doing various duties, despite the noise and the chaos, I would walk around speaking to God and asking him to remind me of our morning talk. And that was where my acorn came in. My friend had given me a real one to keep in my pocket. And this was because she'd kept repeating a phrase to me in the beginning. All will be well and all manner of things will be well. And that was a phrase made famous by Julian of Norwich in the 14th century. Originally about a hazelnut, but she couldn't find a hazelnut. So every time my fingers felt it in my pocket, and it's still in my pocket today, I was reminded that all would be well and all manner of things would be well. I didn't really understand how because these things were completely beyond my control and I was utterly helpless in the face of them. But the promise of God was in those words. The rhythm of them made them easy to remember and the acorn in my pocket made them tangible and real. They were all I had to hold on to. All would be well. So I did. As I walked around the playground and in between a hundred random conversations with children, I would tell God what was worrying me. And so many times I heard him say that by choosing to worry about things, I was choosing to live those things over and over and over. And all he required was for me to trust him. On my journey to and from school, I would play worship music loudly and I would worship even when I knew I didn't want to because I recognized that by doing so, I would lift up my eyes away from my problems and they would fix on Jesus. And he was a much better view. (laughs) Uh, I listened to some of our Sunday morning preachers from Hope Church again. There were two series that spoke directly to me, one, The Marks of Jesus, and another one called Streams in the Desert. I heard God's voice so many times during those talks. I prioritized our prayer meetings. We had a series of meetings here that were about clearing out the wells, and they were frequently painful, and I was always, always tired. But again, God spoke. And at the end of the day, when I'd been crazily busy... The prayer meeting was like food for my soul, and it redirected my heart back to truth. Of course, there were, and there still are, days when I felt down, alone, like whatever I was doing wasn't really working, and God isn't listening to me. So on those days, I'd be honest, and I'd talk to my friend who'd been there since the beginning, and I would listen, really listen, to what she would tell me. We know that in the story when Jesus was born and throughout his childhood, Mary frequently treasured the things that God told her in her heart and pondered them. So I figured if Mary had to do it, it couldn't be a bad thing. So, And what I learned was when you ponder things in your heart, you can hear God's voice more clearly. Other times when my feelings would take over, and when they still do, I use the verses from Philippians 4, 8 to 12, and I write out examples of what is good and true and pure and admirable and excellent and lovely and praiseworthy in my own life at that moment and I think on those things and I thank God for them and I find my peace in knowing that God is walking my life with me. During this time there were actually some good times. There were days when after my friend said how are you I could genuinely be truthfully positive in my reply. So then the temptation was to think that I had it all sorted because I'm good at relying on my own strength and the temptation was I thought I was strong again and I didn't need to continue but then I read this store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal wherever your treasure is there your heart your wishes your desires and that on which your life centers will be also 
And that was when I heard God say that I need to practice trusting him in the quiet days, in the good days, when you think you don't really need to trust in God. Because that would build up a resource bank for when the days were going to be really tough. So I practiced it. I learned the following. Peace is not the absence of trouble or anxiety in my life. Peace is knowing in the depths of my soul that God is in control. My peace is found in knowing that his ways and his thoughts are higher than mine and that he is prepared to share his wise counsel with me. A true peace in God is an unswerving and unshakable trust in the King of Kings, the maker of the universe, my saviour and my father. And peace is the absolute trust in the one who knows me better than I know myself, who loves me dearly and passionately and who arranges my world to remind me of that love on a daily basis. So then I had to find the silence. And this is where the Matthew verse really spoke to me. I didn't want my old life back. I wanted a new and a better version of it. And I was beginning to get a glimpse of it. I wanted to know how to keep a new rhythm, despite everything I knew that would still come crashing over me and that I would need to have to do. My friend had suggested I was like a jar of river water, all shaken up, and what I needed to do was sit still long enough to let the sediment settle and the water become clear. And that was really hard for me to understand because that meant I had to be still for however long that was going to take. And I'm a doer kind of a person. I didn't really understand how I could accomplish anything by sitting still. Uh, But I did recognise eventually that I had to stop striving. I couldn't possibly do everything and live my life in my own strength. I heard God challenge me in that I would quite happily set aside a time to get to know new friends, so why wouldn't I do the same for him? He reminded me of the story of Mary and Martha. Martha is constantly worried about inconsequential details, although they seemed large in her life. And Jesus told her that the only thing worth being concerned about was time spent with him. I realized if I wanted to change, then I had to come to God with all my frustration, my failure, my panic, fear, stress, anxiety, anger, and disability. It might surprise you to know it wasn't a very pretty time. (laughs) There were lots of tears, anger, and moments where I told God just what I thought about his plan. I had to live with a body that refused to work properly. And as I did, God listened. He didn't contradict me, he didn't correct me, and he didn't try to explain himself. He just listened. And when I finally ran out of words, in a still small voice, and in the completely normal example of human friendship, he reminded me time and time and time again that he loved me deeply. When I ran out of words, there was just a silence between me and God. And I've been learning that silence is good. The silence is when Elijah heard God speak to him. And in my silence, I heard God say to do this regularly with how I would be, how I would regain my life and how all would be well and all manner of things would be well. Getting away from others, being silent was where my relationship with God would really develop. I read through Mark's gospel and I realized that even Jesus had to get away from the crowds and be alone. There are lots of examples in Mark of this. I realized this is how Jesus made his decisions. It's how he dealt with his grief It's how he managed the constant demands of his ministry, and it's how he prepared for his death on the cross. He withdrew, and he spent time alone with God. So if Jesus had to do it, how much more did I have to? So I have been realizing that this is all God asks me to do. And that's what this Matthew verse means when it says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly so it's not a heavy expectation it doesn't disrupt my life it's not awkward or clunky it's just time spent with God it doesn't have to be hours either I started with just 10 minutes of stillness I programmed the alarm on my phone to go off in 10 minutes time with a worship song and that means I can concentrate and stop worrying about has it been 10 minutes yet I closed my eyes I concentrate my breathing and I relax. And sometimes my mind goes off in a totally different direction and I think about all the things I have to do or what I need to buy in Sainsbury's. But that's okay because I just refocus it back on God without beating myself up. 
and I concentrate on him. With practice, it gets easier. And I've always, always heard God speak to me. I've been doing it for several months now, not daily, but regularly. I'm learning to listen to my body and what it needs. And the silence with God really helps. Sometimes God speaks specifically to me. Other times he just reminds me that I need to sleep. And what I have realized in these times alone with God is that when I'm dangerously tired, and for me, being dangerously tired is when my emotions are all over the place, when my anxiety is threatening to take over, when I'm more susceptible to the lies of the enemy and less able to bat them away, when I'm that tired, I can't hear the quiet, sure voice of God. I can't hear him call me his beloved. When I'm dangerously tired, I lose touch with that place in the center of my being where I know who I am in Christ, what I'm called to do, and where I can respond to his voice above all the others. So when I feel dangerously tired, when my emotions and my panic are taking over yet again, I arrange to spend time with God in the silence, and it restores me. Sometimes it's 10 or 15 minutes, other times it's longer. But however long it is, I'm always restored to who God says I am. I love the author C.S. Lewis, and in his book, Mere Christianity, he says this. It comes at the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes and fears for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back. In listening to that other voice taking that other point of view and letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. So that's what I spend the first part of every day doing, shoving them all back. It doesn't need to take long, and sometimes my prayers are as short as, Jesus, I need you, or Jesus, I trust you. I don't know how I'm going to manage my day, but I trust you. When I look at my outward circumstances, (laughs) nothing's changed. I'm still a deputy head in the same school. The challenging circumstances are still there all day, every day. I still teach and support PGCE students. And actually, due to a few other challenges, I now teach a class five mornings a week. I still have my disability with all of its frustrations. God hasn't chosen to heal me or take any of my challenges away. But he has met me in the darkest corners of my life, repeatedly, and generously. So everything inside has changed. I've got a new rhythm to my life. I'm able to recognize that I cannot be strong all of the time and that God doesn't actually require that from me. All I'm required to do is put my hand in his each morning and listen to his voice above all the others that shout for my attention. The result of this is that now I have more time. I don't get up any earlier to fit in my Bible time. I work just as hard, but somehow I have time for Jesus. I have plenty of it, and I have a significant amount of time just to be with my friends. The practical strategies help. I still write out examples from my life for the Philippians verses. It's a good way to remind me that God is at work in my life. I worship regularly. Music speaks to my soul in a way other things don't. I can hear God speak to me in music, and I can communicate with God through my music. I recognize the impact that some of my friendships have had on me too, and I think that we need to live in rhythm with each other, because that's my experience. When I'd lost that close relationship with Jesus, there were others who changed their rhythms in order to help me find mine again, because they realized it was important. They held me close to God. They prayed for me when I couldn't do that. They didn't tell me, just read your Bible, it's all in there. They texted me Bible verses, so I had no choice but to read them. They found sermons, articles, quotes, and blogs online that seemed specially written for me. They sent me worship songs, and they gave me breakfast, lunch, dinner, and cake. (laughs) They made plans to see me regularly, and they completely changed their rhythms to help me find mine. And if they hadn't done that... I really don't think I'd be here now and be as I am. There are still things that I'm working out. There are still layers that I'm peeling off. But there are things that are really different about me because I had friends and a God who fought for me. So when I keep the acorn my friend gave me in my pocket, it's really smooth now and it's actually in several pieces from its constant use. The casing of it has long since disintegrated 
But every time my fingers touch it, I am reminded of the rhythm that my life is now in and that I need to keep. A rhythm where I'm beginning to understand that when I am yoked to Jesus, when I live closely with him, when I listen, but then actually act on what he's teaching me about how I live, when I absolutely trust him with all of my heart and not keeping some of it back because I think I know better, I can understand and I can trust him that all will be well and all manner of things will be well, but in his time. Thank you. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you, Amelia. Thank you, Becky, wherever she is. You know, these are the trophies of God's grace, aren't they? And you are the trophies of God's grace. There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah 61, and it talks about how the people who have been through mourning the people who have been through grief, the people who have carried a spirit of heaviness, they are those who become the oaks of righteousness. You've just heard from three oaks of righteousness. And Vicky's been telling us about how important it was to ponder these things. Ponder these things in your heart. So we just want to give you some moments now, lots there to reflect on, lots there to process, lots going on in your own heart, I'm sure. So we just want to give you some time to ponder these things in your own heart and to consider, because these oaks of righteousness are the ones who rebuild the ancient ruins. We've got work to do. I want to invite Lydia, please, to just come up and sing um, a song that's become familiar to us here at Hope. I'm sure many of you will know it. It is Well With My Soul, which just picks up that, that phrase that Vicky was sharing with us, that it is well and all manner of things will be well. And while Lydia is ministering that to us, I would just encourage you to just take that moment of silence, that moment of stillness to ponder. Just quieten your heart before God. And just remember that he has a direct line to you. You have a direct line to him. There are things he wants to minister to you and say to you. Give him the time and the space right now to do that. Quaked before 